the Unbillable Hour Community Table, where real lawyers from all around the country with real issues they are dealing with right now meet together virtually to present their questions to Christopher T. Anderson, lawyer and law firm management consultant. New questions every episode, and none of it scripted. The real conversations happen here. For our first question, a lawyer is seeking guidance on who to hire for their office manager position. I have been interviewing for the office manager position. I mean, I've actually gotten some good candidates. And now it's kind of hard trying to decipher which one to choose, really. I interviewed one who has extensive experience working with a law firm in Texas. So let me tell you, the, my office manager that left, we had some issues as it relates to tardiness and absence because of her children. She has two young children under the age of five. And obviously that is a priority, but it was interfering with her ability to do her work. And that issue progressed. And so we kind of made the joint decision that it was best that she be at home with her children full time. That was a discussion her and her husband had, and I agreed mm-hmm. with it. I supported it. Okay. So going forward, obviously, my concern is definitely not falling into the same situation where I have a good employee because I found her to be a good office manager when she was able to be there right. and committed to the job. But it was it was difficult. Anywho, so the lady that I interviewed, she ran a firm. She was an office manager at a firm in Texas that had six offices. So kind of a, a big, a much bigger organization than what I have. She was working 16 hours a day, going from office to office, six offices in Texas. But she also now has a newborn, which obviously now is a focus. And so I told her that obviously we wouldn't be working her six, 16 hours a day and having her go to six offices um, because I don't have six offices. But I felt that her background was strong in understanding how a law firm is ran. So mm-hmm. I was impressed with that. Before we go too much farther with this, what I what I would ask is that you tell me a little bit about the role rather than the people. Tell me about what this role is supposed to do. Okay. In this role as an office manager, it's really about managing the office and managing the team, making sure that invoices are paid, that policies and procedures are followed in the firm looking for ways to maintain firm or office morale, making sure that folks are doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? That they're on task, making sure that they're meeting the three P's. And the three P's for me is punctuality, performance, and production. If you meet those three, then we're good to go. And so it's important that, but they're also a leader because they're going to be essentially managing the firm and taking over the full management because I'm going on maternity leave in four months. So there's going to need to be someone that is able to run and manage the firm without me, without having any access to me. So the gist of it is that this is not an office manager. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. I'm not going to argue with you about what you're allowed to call it. But the role is more of a firm administrator. And the way I distinguish it in my head is an office manager is someone who orders office supplies, makes sure the office is open in the morning, closed at night, deals with vendors, deals with the the overall upkeep of the office. In corp America, it's called a site manager or a site lead. That's an office manager. Mm -hmm. 
You're talking okay. about somebody who's more of a firm administrator that I would yes. want to also then be sure that this person that you're interviewing, what their role was at this previous firm. So were they over all of those offices? Were they over one office? Did they have overall financial and HR responsibilities or was it limited? So they were, they said that they were an office manager originally. And then for a year, they became the firm administrator for a year is what they said. Okay. So yes to the role, but green in the role, but with a bigger firm than yours. So definitely some pluses and minuses. And so your question is, how do I avoid, let me make sure I understand your question. How do I avoid the repeating the same mistake? Is that, is that the question? Yes, but also I have other candidates that I've interviewed that I have been just as impressed with. Now, they don't have any law firm experience, though, but they have management experience. And so I've been you know, pleased with what all of them have brought to the interview thus far. And so I guess I'm trying to narrow it down to who I believe would be the best candidate for the job. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is, of course, the fact that this one has a kid that she might need to attend to is actually a non-permissible question. If she came out and told you, that's one thing, but- uh, She did, she did. So I tend to try to discount that because I don't visit the sins of the former on the new one, but I would not mind having a conversation with this particular one about, okay, here are the non-negotiable times where I need you here, particularly because I'm gonna be out. Here's where we have some flexibility. Are we okay with that? Are you going to be okay with that? Can you tell me, you know, what your, any, any hesitations you might have to sort of flesh that out? As far as comparing the candidates, here's, I mean, have you read who the book? No. Okay. What I recommend you do in this circumstance is first of all, and also, are you the only one interviewing? Yes. Then what you need to do is put together a scorecard so that you can get some objectivity to this process. What would be the key items you're looking for in this role? And what do you believe the person's likelihood to be able to do a A or an excellent job at each of those? Nobody's going to be perfect in all of them. So, you know, list five, six, seven things that this role must do really well. Then score them on a scale of one to five, no more, not not one to 10, just do one to five on each of them. So you get a score and then they have, and then you add all those up and divide them by however many there were to get an overall score for what I call fitness for role. Uh Before you add it all up or do anything, you also have a, a final criterion, which is fitness for firm, which is a cultural question. Does this person fit? Is this person going to be a cultural fit for my firm? And then all the fitness for role things get added up and create one score, one through five. And the fitness for role gets one score, one through five. And so you rank then the, so every person has two scores. This, you know, is a four slash four, this four for role, three for firm. This one's a three for role, it's a four for firm. Those people would be relatively equal, but then if they're equal, I, I let the fitness for firm win the tiebreaker. But this, this gives it some objectivity. I strongly, strongly, strongly advocate having more than you interview. I don't know if you've got someone else that can interview for this role, but it also helps with the objectivity when you get to vote with someone else. Um, but if not, the scorecards help you be objective on your own. Okay. And when you get a chance, put who high on your list of books to read.
Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Nearly 80% of people search for lawyers online. They visit websites and check reviews. If your site doesn't appear in the top search results or it presents poorly, you risk losing clients. That's why you must know how your firm stacks up on Google against the competition. See how your reviews impact clients' decisions and how you can get better results from your site. Get an unbiased marketing performance report in under a minute right now at Grow Law Firm. And that's growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Once again, growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Our second question is also about hiring. This lawyer is struggling to find a new associate for her smaller firm. The issue that I'm running into is how to attract quality candidates to my small firm when we're competing in such a tight market against much larger family law firms other than work-life balance because it seems like that's everybody's thing now is that they're claiming work-life balance. So I don't, I don't know. I've made three offers recently to candidates with very, very competitive salaries. The last two with significantly more than what they're making at the current firm. And I know money isn't everything, but they also have expressed in their interview as well as to mutual colleagues that we know that they hate their current firm and they still declined the offer. What did they do? Oh, these are associate positions. No, what did they do? They declined your offer. What did they do? They're still at the firm that they claim that they hate. Okay. So remember, this is marketing, right? Mm -hmm. Hiring is marketing. Recruiting is marketing. So if this were a sale that you didn't make, you have to ask where, where did the process fall apart? It either fell apart on their commitment to make a change or on their clarity as to what they actually wanted as a result of the change, or on their urgency to make a change, or that the options that you presented didn't provide them with the path to the change that they did know they wanted, or they didn't understand their options. One of those. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's where sales fall apart in that order. What I'm suspecting, because of the way you asked the question, is that you're not clear in your own head And so you're not presenting clearly the value proposition of working for you. Mm -hmm. And you may also not be attracted because you're not being clear about that. Then you're not attracting the candidates who value your unique value proposition because there's some things that you do worse than big firm. And there's some things that you do better. There are some things that you do worse than a competitive smaller firm that is out there marketing for people. And so it, it is important. Yeah. Work-life balance. That's like being a law firm that says, you know, we care about our clients. Right. As opposed to the law firms that don't, right. It's not a differentiator. Work-life balance is not a differentiator. You can really screw that up by making it clear that you don't provide work-life balance, (laughs) but, but you can't 
really differentiate. Right. So think about this for a minute. Why is it awesome to work for your firm? I think it's awesome to work for our firm because we really, the people who work at our firm are kind of handpicked for, as you were saying with Judy, fit for the firm and culturally fit our firm. There are people who are passionate about our mission. What's your uh, mission? Changing the way that people co-parent and move on after a romantic separation. One of the biggest things for, for me and what this firm was founded on is ensuring that just because someone has a romantic breakup, they don't lose their relationship with their kids and get fleeced of all of their assets. Okay. Do you start your hiring process with that? It's in all of our job ads. So for instance, in my hiring process, we have two absolute top of the funnel, like this is what we're about. We're about changing the way conflicts are resolved in America. We're about providing access to conflict resolution to more people. Those are the two things. If that doesn't get you excited, we stop your interview process now. And so, but we don't say, tell me, does that get you excited? We say, <laughs> tell us about, so if you say, you've just told me it's in all of our information. Your first, one of your first questions, not in an interview, this is like in a written interview or preliminary step. Thank you. And I, I understand when the market's tight, like you're probably moving them to interview pretty fast. Right. Um, so wherever you are, whatever's early in your process, the way it is now, one of the first questions should be, we really appreciate that you have chosen to spend this time with us to, to check us out while we check you out. Would you mind telling me what the biggest thing that attracted you to our firm is? The, the three key questions I like to ask is, what are, what's the number one thing that attracted you to us? Two, why do my clients want to work with you? And three, what about this firm do you believe will help you grow in the next three to five years? And pretty much as far as I'm concerned, I don't need to hear the rest of the damn interview. Those are the only questions I care about. You know, why are you leaving? Why did you do this job? <laughs> what, are, what are you proud of? What are you ashamed of? Those are all interesting ones too, but I know whether or not someone's going to make it down the road on those three questions. Okay. And looking at it now, that's from your screening perspective. From the sales perspective, look at what you're doing when you ask those questions. You're getting them to say in their own words why they want to work there. And so now you're putting them out of integrity with themselves for deciding to stay where they are. Mm -hmm. As opposed to you selling. They sold you. They told you why. And that's really, really powerful in any sales process, whether it be recruiting or something else, is to have the potential buyer tell you why you're the firm, you're the product, you're the car they want. Okay. Super powerful. Have you read who? I have not read who, but I did write it down. I, I, I know this book. And, I know, but there's like, and I skip, gotta, for yeah, you, skip to, I think it's chapter four. There's a whole chapter on selling the prospect. Once, once you've had the interview, I'm getting done on landing them. Not, you know, like the whole front of the book is about attracting them and the initial interviews and all that. But then one of the, like the key parts of the book for me has been the chapter on the top five ways to sell the deal. It's chapter five. Let me just look at chapter four. So chapter four is about scorecards the four interviews, which includes the scorecards. And then chapter five is the top five ways to seal the deal. 
and this just you just read through this and it's like a giant aha moments as I read through this the first time and I reread it from time to time when I feel like I'm not closing uh, with with candidates as well as I, I expect to. And this just really is super helpful. This book, chapter five, read the whole damn book. It's on audio, but I, I read almost everything by audiobook. It's on audiobook. It's a good audiobook, but or it's a good physical book. If you're struggling with this, you gotta gotta get this book. But meanwhile, those three questions, you can skip the book. Like if you've got an interview today, like use those three, get to the book by the weekend um, so that you'll uh, step up your game on this. Okay. I would definitely do that. Cause yeah, I, but then get clearer. Cause what you just told me about the key differentiator, the fact that you're a handpicked team, you know, I'm kind of like Woody Allen. Um, you know, I'm not sure I want to be a member of any team that'll actually have me. Um, <laughs> and, and so a handpicked team never really does it for me. If I'm a candidate, right. What I want to know is I want to know, What's different that resonates with me? Handpicked team's not different. I can't resonate with handpicked team. Yeah, maybe if I'm going to lead a snob, I can resonate with with handpicked team. But otherwise, and it, 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 in fact, you may be attracting the wrong people with that mm-hmm. phraseology. I know there's some there's like something about your mission that's that's that you can express and try to get people on board with, and then make sure they're on board with, and get them to tell you why they're on board with it. They may already know. But you should be clear on what answer you're looking for when you ask that question, what attracted you to us? What's the answer you're hoping for? Because I'll tell you what, if the answer is work-life balance, that's not a candidate I want. Me either. <laughs> law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with the project-based work and also ongoing work via a subscription. Sign up is free, and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, Law Clerk has a new app for your mobile device to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code UNBILLABLE when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. Find out how TimeSolve fits your firm. With six different ways to track time, surely one will fit, even on the go. Or quickly estimate flat fee projects. Batch payments for hundreds of invoices at once with TimeSolve Pay. Getting paid quickly is a great fit. And TimeSolve fits with the other tools you use. QuickBooks, LawPay, NetDocuments, LawRuler, Microsoft, all just plug in. Try TimeSolve free. Get a $100 Amazon gift card when you sign up. TimeSolve.com. The third and final question comes from a lawyer who is having difficulty holding people accountable without creating additional work for herself. Been working on systems, been working on the team, hired a new attorney. You know, things are going well. I am having trouble figuring out a way to hold people accountable in a way that doesn't create a lot of extra work for me. That's my problem. Okay. I'm not saying I'm not going to have to do any work, but it just seems like a lot of work. No, it doesn't have to be a lot of work. The work that you've got, the hard work that you can't delegate, it's the owner's work, is to figure out what the criteria are. What are the standards? What are the KPIs? What are the OKRs? To keep them to a small number and to make them clear, attainable, and objectively measurable. That's it. That's where your work can end. The attainment 
measurement and reporting of those can be something that a bookkeeper does, or it could be something that they do. You don't meet your KPI if you don't report it to me. It's a little bit overly simplistic, but it really is the way it is. I'm going to have to fire everyone. Well, you haven't done this yet. You haven't, like, you, you can't just set them up and, and say, and I, you know, I secretly hope that they'll come with their reports. The well, no, I have. So this actually happened because I hired someone from Get Staffed Up and she started working for me in June and she sent me this little grid and she was like, oh, by the way, Get Staffed Up wants me to send this to them at the end of every day. Do you want me to send it to you too? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes. And can you add like these three lines? So it's like, you know, good, high point, low point. And I added like what you got stuck on today, what you need from me or from a colleague, you know, three, the top, you know, what you worked on today, what's on deck for tomorrow. And she fills it out and sends it to me pretty much at the end of every day. Once in a while, she misses an evening and she sends it to me the next morning. My client intake person does that too. My paralegal, sporadic. She's getting better. But I also have to like every day, you know, look at them and kind of reply to them a little bit. So. Okay. So first of all, that's a terrible system. And because it creates a lot of busyness, but it doesn't actually do anything. And it has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. So we can talk about what that is in a second, because what that is, is your version of some sort of virtual scrum, but it's not serving the purpose of the scrum. And so I'll talk to you about that in a second, because I think everybody should hear this. But what I was talking about are criteria, KPIs, objectives. What are the outputs that make someone an excellent person in that role? And you don't want a daily bloody report, maybe at the very, very beginning, but you're looking for this on a you know, depending on the role on a weekly, monthly basis, you know, how many hours were, did you, did you build to matters? If that, if you track that, you know, that's something I'll get weekly. How many sales calls did you do for a dragon roll? You know, that's something I want weekly. You know, I have a standard and what was your conversion rate? I have a standard. I want to report um, so that I can help. And, you know, the way I cast this is, is again, you know, using, <laughs> see, I'm going to do this with every freaking session today. The, but this comes out of Vern Hardish is scaling up. But like where you, your role, like we all have learned, if you've ever, if you've ever been in corporate America, we've all heard the words direct support. I mean, sorry, direct report. I've already blown the punchline. Um, these are, I have five direct reports. I have seven direct reports. Well, Vern turns that on his head and he says, no, they're direct supports. Your job is to support your team. Your job is to clear obstacles for your team. Your job is to make it clear what good performance looks like, how it's measured and how it's reported. That's your job. Their job is to do it. And having them pass up these reports either directly to you or through a bookkeeper that aggregates them into a dashboard, you know, depending on what size and how complex uh, your firm can be, that's their job. Your job is then to review them and make corrections, course corrections in the firm based on the numbers and the criteria you're seeing. So KPIs, not what did you do today? What did you do tomorrow? KPIs. Real, objective, measurable criteria to tells you they're doing an excellent job. Scrum. Scrum is important. This is a concept that I brought from software development world. If you want to read about it, there's a bajillion books on Scrum and agile um, development. But 
the essence of the scrum is that you want your team to be self-organizing and self-managing to take that burden off of you. And one of the tools, one of the key tools to doing this, other than Kanban, and I can teach you all about Kanban and, 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 and sprints and all that kind of stuff later, but the scrum is everybody gets together once a day, once a day, everybody wants to say, well, let's do that once a week. No, once a day for a brief amount of time, depending on the size of the team, the, the scrum team should never be more than seven people. Um, there should be a scrum master. Um, it does not need to be the leader of the firm. My scrum master right now ranges from, I have attorneys as scrum masters, I have paralegals as scrum masters, I have project managers as scrum masters, it doesn't matter. It's just the person who's responsible for running the scrum meeting. They're not in charge, they just run the meeting. Everybody on the team reports with everybody there. It's what I did yesterday. It's what I'm going to do today. These are my stucks. And we're adding and experimenting with a fourth element. These are my asks because they're different than stucks. Why all together and not in a written report to you? Because if Christina says, Yana, I'm stuck because Carol hasn't given me the brief to review. Then Yana goes, well, shit, Carol, what's up with you? Why haven't you given Christina the brief? And Carol goes, I gave it to her two days ago. I don't know what she's talking about. So then Yana goes back to Christina and says, she says she gave it to you two weeks ago or two days ago. What are you talking about? You know, she's always exaggerating. Like, what the hell? Meanwhile, when you're in a scrum, like Carol says that, Christina says that, Carol says, I gave it to you two days ago. Oh, I must not have seen it. Where'd you put it? I put it in this folder, boom, done. And if it can be handled in 10 seconds or less, you handle it there during the scrum. If it can't, you have, you take it after scrum. But your job or the scrum master's job or your job, because you don't have to be the scrum master for this to be your job, is to unstuck people. That's your job. You just unstuck people. But what this does is, just hang on one sec, is it, it helps the team to manage and hold each other accountable based on the same criteria. This fits into a whole much bigger picture as to how to run your team on Scrum. And I'm sorry for interrupting you, but that's that's what I wanted to say about that. What were you going to say? Oh, no, I kind of, you know, I'm not saying that I'm out of legal entirely, but now that I have like a fully functional adult attorney, I kind of view my job as like the fairy that goes around and being like, I will solve this problem and I will help you keep going and I will help you keep going and I will yeah. help you keep going. But this puts a structure to that. Yeah. Right? Because then you could spend, you, now you get your list of unstucking for the rest of the day. Thank you for listening. This has been the Unbillable Hour Community Table on the Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.